Ecolution. Hello and welcome back. A few weeks ago, we asked some climate activists on to discuss the Climate Action Bill. In that episode, we talked about the ways that they felt the bill could be improved. Well, the good news is that we can still have our say in the new Climate Action Plan. The government is developing. The Climate Bill makes the government legally accountable for our net zero emission targets. This requires a huge step in our climate ambition and a new Climate Action Plan to set out how we'll get there. This next Climate Action Plan will be our roadmap for getting to zero and it's this roadmap that is under discussion in today's episode. What this means is that your family can sit down together and fill in an online question to have your say. And it is very important that we do this because it's us young people that will be most affected by climate change over the course of our lives. The person within the doll who's in charge of putting this plan into action is the Minister for Environment, Climate and Communications and Minister for Transport, Eamon Ryan. And today on Ecolution, he joins us to answer your questions. Minister, welcome to Ecolution. Can you tell us a little bit about your job? James, thank you very much. I'm very glad to be here. My job is as a government minister. So I oversee two departments, government departments, one environment, climate and communications, the other transport. And it is to deliver, I suppose, positive change for the people of Ireland in both those two areas to set us on a path to address the biological and climate crisis we face and to use communications, transport networks to help in that to meet the needs of the Irish people. Public service is my job. The Climate Action Bill has been released in the last couple of weeks from your department. Obviously, this bill directly affects young people and their futures. Why do you think it's important young people have their say on the Climate Action Plan? Well, I think they'll be the ones who have to implement it in terms of, like this bill looks for look 30 years to transform the country from the current unsustainable model to a sustainable model, sustainable environmentally, socially and economically. So for most younger people in that time frame, they'll be the hopefully the beneficiaries of the of the intention of the bill, but also it'll be their working lives, their studying lives, their future that is being managed. The way the way the bill, the way it's constructed is is to look forward in, in five-year chunks, first 15 years, but then to keep evolving it and looking every five years, looking five years further ahead. So I think for young people, this is going to have a big influence in their lives. And that's one of the reasons they should be clearly involved and we need to listen to what they have to say about it. We've also invited three young people with an investment in the plan being as effective as possible. Hi, my name's Aoife, I'm from Mayo and I'm representing Freud. Hi, I'm Ella, I'm in Sligo and I'm representing Eco UNESCO. My name is Sirsha, I am a member of Friday's Future and a climate ambassador. We put out a request for kids' questions and we got lots in return. We're going to ask you a small selection. I'm Freya from Mayo and I'd like to ask if this climate bill would encourage people to plant more trees. Because if people plant more trees every day, it might help the world going through this tough time. It doesn't go directly into each sector. So it doesn't go, we need more trees or we need cleaner vehicle, electric vehicles or more wind power or whatever. It sets the approach in which a plan can be written that would say that we have to do that. So it sets out a, a budget of the emissions reduction we want, and then the government and the Oireachtas, the Dáil and the Shannon, have to respond with devising a plan. And that plan will, will say that. And particularly when it comes to planting trees, the way they put it is put the right tree in the right place. 
we need to plant trees in a way that addresses our biodiversity crisis as well as our climate crisis. We need to plant trees that help us manage water pollution and flooding. The detail of that you don't put in the bill. The bill sets out how you go about setting up a plan to make that work. But the consequence will be a lot more trees. And I hopefully, more importantly than anything else, the right trees in the right place make our country beautiful and full of nature. I'm Isabella Dunn. I'm 10 years old and I'm from Dublin, Palmerstown. And I'd like to ask, where did you get the exact number of 51% to reduce the carbon fuel? It came from the science and from the Paris Climate Agreement. There was a report done in 2018 looking at what would we need to meet the objectives of attempting to be below one and a half degree temperature increase. So it was on the basis of that scientific assessment that we would need to have our emissions in a decade is where the target came from. And similarly, net zero by 2050. Now, some people would say, and they have a lot of reason on, on their side, that we should be more ambitious, we should be reducing it even more. But that's what the Programme for Government and what the bill contains. It took from what the International Panel and climate change scientists were saying was the minimum that was needed. There are loads of scientists out there who are saying that we really do need to be net zero by 2030. Why aren't we following that line or even coming closer to that? We need to show that as a country, we can do this. And simply, that's not showing that. In all times, we put this that at the latest by 2050. So no one's saying we shouldn't be more ambitious. And if we can deliver it quicker, I would be the first to be pleased and, and rushing to deliver that. But having looked at in real detail, it does also take time to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And maybe just to take example, the one we've just discussed about forestry, in the first few years after planting a tree, you may not see a reduction in emissions because you may have had to drain land to plant the tree and that would release emissions. So it's only in later years that the emissions reductions would really come in. In transport, because the cars we buy today will still be on the road in 15 years' time, we'll still have those emissions in 15 years' time. And we won't get rid of the car because there's a lot of embodied energy in the car, in the making of it, in the steel that made it. So you know, if we really were to go to net zero in 2030, we'd have to scrap all the cars at that point. And, and I don't think anyone's going to want that because we would have to still move around. And yes, we would change. We'd switch to more active travel and switch to public transport. But it does take time. While the sooner we do this, the better. And the risks are very real around going over a tipping point on climate change where we should act faster. Having the emissions in a decade, no one has done that before. No one's got anywhere near doing that before. And it will be a real challenge. But what I hope is by doing it, we'll learn that we can do it and then we'll do it quicker. My name is Ashling. I'm 11 years old and I'm from Glanmire in Cork. I would ask the minister to cut the deadline to 2035 instead of 2050. That's a long way away. I'm Davy McDonough and I'm from Galway. And my question is, could we bring it to a closer time to now? I'm eight years old now. And the fact that I'm going to be 37 by 2050, it just scares me that we're still going to be polluting this earth and hurting it by then. If we find in the next decade that we're progressing, by all means, 
that the first three budgets, each in five years chunks, will bring us to 2035. And I don't expect it to be net zero in that time frame. If we find in the interim that we can do it, we, we clearly would. But I don't think that that would be the original advice from the Climate Advisory Council, which will be advising government on the budget we set for 2035. Okay, well, obviously, there's a lot of radical changes that need to be made in every sector, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Now, let's turn to Aoife, who represents Faroga. Coming from a rural area myself, sustainable public transport is so important nowadays. What opportunities can slash will you give to people in more rural areas? As for people in rural areas, there is no option of sustainable transport, so they have to use private cars. You're right, Aoife. My sense of how this transition will work, it has to be a just transition. And that means that everyone matters and every place matters. You know, some people out there saying, oh, this will not be good for rural Ireland. I disagree. I think it will be really good for rural Ireland because we have a lot of renewable energy in rural Ireland, which will help power this future. We will use a lot of digital technologies for remote learning and meetings, which has the potential to change the way rural Ireland works for the better. But thirdly, we also need then to make sure that people in rural Ireland have some of the same options. It's it's more difficult because if you have a bus service in a rural area, you don't have the same density. You have a smaller number of people to cover the cost of of the whole system. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be ambitious for rural Ireland. Bus Air do a very good job. In my own experience, I've used them a lot. We have a lot of new other private buses, again, provide a very good service. But anyone living in rural Ireland will know that the level of service is not on that Swiss scale at all. And I think we should make that investment. I'm hoping within my job as Minister of Transport to roll out a lot more rural transport services. Where are you based, Steve? Do you want me to ask, what part of the country are you in? I'm in Ackle Island. Oh my goodness. So the most rural place. I used to go on holidays in Dugart with my wife and our four children. And we used to get the bus air and bus. You know, the bus goes all the way around Ackle and... It was fantastic. It dropped us there and we didn't need a car and we could make our way around Ackle on foot. And the bus service was superb. And now I'd always remember it was a bank holiday weekend and we arrived in Westport, prams and buggies and everything. And the bus driver was, bus was full, but the bus driver took us on and squeezed us in. And it just reminded me the real benefits of that service. It opened up Ackle to me. So I think we need to protect those sort of services and expand them. What really shocked me, Minister, is that in the last 100 years, Ireland has seen a huge decline in the use of railways. There are thousands of kilometres of railways in Ireland that are lying unused. Why can't we just go in and use them and connect the rural networks? Like, is obviously, as you said, so important to do so. I think because for the last 50 years or so, like many parts of the world, we kind of switched to a private transport system, a roads-based, car-based system. And there was great freedom in the car. You know, everyone was able to go wherever they wanted, whenever they wanted. But the problem is when everyone does that, the freedom is diminished. We were one of the first to have this incredible rail network and we've lost most of it, but not all of it. There is still a core spine. And I think the real question now is what we do with that. And we've just started a review to look at this question and to think, could we use the rail lines to carry more goods? We've kind of stopped that. Only 1% of freight traffic we take, the goods traffic is on rail. Could we turn that around? And also, there's a lot of lines that may be very, really underused. Like the Cork-Dublin line is fairly busy, but if you take the line, the line from Washford to Limerick, which crosses over diagonally across the country, 
Hardly anyone is on that. And it's designed almost where it's very hard to use. The timetables don't really work and there's very infrequent services. So I think as part of this climate plan that we have to develop coming out of the bill, if we really put in good services and electric trains, maybe that would be really efficient. Could we turn that decline around and as part of our climate solution, start to really build up towns that are on the railway network? I think that is possible. Evie, one of our listeners in Dublin. As Minister, are you sure that there are no loopholes in the bill that will inevitably lead to rogue emissions, fracking and further climate inaction? I'm Nyla from Mayo and I'd like to ask, how do you know people will obey this bill? One of the things I think in how we make this climate leap we need to make, I think shaming people or making people feel guilty or putting all the emphasis on personal consumption was one of the mistakes we made in recent years. What we're better to do is try and change the rules so that the things we use are by nature cleaner or greener. And therefore, it's not all just about what the individual does. It's, it's what the whole system we need to change. So it isn't just about having such a tight system that individuals are policed, as it were, in that way. It has to be a better outcome for people. So the bill is designed to change the system, to, to make the system change so it's easier for individuals to do the right thing. It's always possible that you could change the law and a future government could always say, well, we've decided not to be part of this international agreement or not to to want to make this transition. I don't think it's likely, but that's always possible. But I think you work with people, you collaborate, you, you kind of recognize that this is for everyone. This is for every place. It matters everywhere. And therefore, you don't engage in the politics of division on it. And therefore, it's less likely that the bill would be rescinded. Like we've been a long time talking about this issue. 30 years now, I've been involved in campaigning on climate pretty much. And the progress has been really frustratingly slow. And we've lost so much time But I think there is possibility at the moment. If you look at that summit that President Biden and the US held last week and you'd all the world leaders coming out, even though they're not getting on very well with each other in other ways, like they're often given out and fighting and other things. But on this issue, at that meeting, there was some agreement that, yeah, we we have to make this change now. So that's the most important protection against loopholes, is that this is in everyone's interest. And this is something that we work on collectively. We don't we don't divide over. And Minister, can corporations slip through these loopholes? As we know that they are a huge polluter in our current society. They have to be part of the system change. They don't get off with what I said there about making people feel guilty or shaming people. That applies to the human being, but not necessarily to the corporation. It's by regulation that we can do the system change there. And an example would be every company has to do an accounts every year where they publish where their revenue came from, where they spent money, what they own and so on. And I think one of the rule changes that will come for corporations is to say you have have to account for your emissions in your accounts. So you have to tell openly, honestly, accurately how much emissions your company was responsible for. And not just what your company is responsible for, but what your suppliers are responsible for and what your customers are responsible for. If those accounts show that you're not part of the solution, then businesses, you, you can regulate to say, well, I'm sorry, we won't support businesses that aren't part of the solution. And how did the proving theta fit with this bill? 
The CETA is a Canadian-European trade agreement. It was provisionally agreed about five years ago, but it's not fully ratified yet. It has been amended to say that the agreement will have to be compliant with Paris. An example of where you change the rules and the accounting systems to say trade as well as companies' accounts has to be compliant with Paris. How you actually implement that is still evolving. It's still not as strong as we would like it to be, but it is changing. The new trade agreements that are coming will have to have stronger provisions to make sure that they're compliant. The European Union and Canada say that's where they're going with this trade agreement. So in my mind, we should use it as a mechanism to deliver rule changes around trade and climate. It's, it, trade keeps evolving and it's not set in stone. Why does the bill not seem to address our increasing agricultural emissions? As I said at the very start, it doesn't go into one sector or another. It sets out how we will do that. But it does include agriculture in the total solution we will have to find. There's no sector that says they can opt out. Uh, agriculture in Ireland is significant part of our planned emissions, about a third, slightly more. It's growing because we've an increasing particularly dairy sector. A lot of the changes, like in every other sector, will in my mind lead to a better agricultural system for farmers. It will allow us to look at ways of doing things where there's slightly less costs. So for example, we will use less fertilizer. Fertilizer tends to be made up of nitrogen. Fertilizers are, are made from fossil fuels. So there's an emissions that nitrous oxides and, and other emissions result from the use of the fertilizer. So maybe let's say instead of using nitrogen fertilizers, you might use clover, which naturally fixes nitrogen in, in the soil. And in that way, you have the same benefit. The nitrogen helps growth. You have less costs. You have to manage it carefully. You have to manage how you look after animals as they eat of all that clover. But it is possible. And I think there's a new generation of young, smart farmers that are starting to see that as the business way to go. That's how I think it's going to work. And I think going back to what I said about trees earlier on, the right tree in the right place, including that as a role for farmers in growing trees and getting paid for it and getting paid for restoring water quality and restoring biodiversity. Again, if, if we just put our fingers and say, oh, the farmers are the problem here, they're not. The farmers are going to be the solution here. We do this together. We don't, we don't divide out. The Irish farmers are going to be the heroes in this transition, in my mind. What happens if agriculture say they're willing to reduce their emissions by only 10%? Will everyone else have to make up the difference? That would be the interesting negotiation. The way it's designed is that, as I said, every sector is involved. So you'd have sectors like transport sector, industry, public services, the commercial sector, how we generate and use waste, and, and uh, energy sectors, obviously another really big one. So yes, the whole account has to balance up where we achieve our targets. And if agriculture says we're only doing a certain amount, then it will put pressure on other sectors. And I guess that in the end is, is going to be a political judgment to make a call as to how the, where the balance of responsibility and our benefit lies. We're going to be part of an overall transition, so it's, it's not just here. But we'll have a particular issue in agriculture because it is a very high percentage of our emissions. But I don't think it's impossible. I, I see us being able to manage this and, and be good at it. Dear Chef from Fridays for Future Limerick, you have a question. 
On the 30th of March 2021, the High Court held that the government is not a relevant body under Section 15 of the Climate Act, so does not need to have regard to national climate plans nor to furtherance of national 2050 objectives. Why did this occur and what are you and the department as a whole going to do to rectify this? It was brought up recently at another meeting I was at and, uh, and it is a good question. My answer is that we'll look at that and amend the bill accordingly if there's any gaps or come out to us asked or if any loopholes. There's been concerns raised about that issue and also about an issue on the wording of the timing of how we make the, the transition. Some people worried that we'd wait for the very last year and make all the emission reductions then. So if there are any loopholes in the legal terms, in the wording of the legislation, we will we will look to close it. The concern that you have is a valid one, but I, I don't believe the legislation has that weakness in it because at various stages, it, it makes it clear that ministers have to meet their obligations. And like government is, is a collection of ministers, cabinet working collectively. And it's in committee stage where you have the chance to look at those sort of questions. And if there is any concern or legal doubt, then we can amend the bill accordingly. We won't allow a, a legal loophole to stay open if clearly one exists. My name's Ayla. I'm 11 and I live in Dublin. What's being done to protect our native Irish trees and wildlife and encourage biodiversity? That's an example of one of, of, one of the recommendations that came from the Oroxus Committee. They said we needed to make a stronger connection, which we've done in the final text, between the need to restore biodiversity as well as reduce emissions. I think one of the most important ways in that is with the development of a land use plan, where we look at, uh, at our whole, whole island and think, firstly, how we develop rural communities, but within that, how we store carbon, how we restore biodiversity, how we improve water quality, reduce ammonia and nitrogen and other pollutants. So there's, in a land use plan, you have to think there are several objectives that we need to meet. And, and you use the restoration of nature to help store carbon, I think it's going to be a big part of the transition we make. So, for example, rather than draining our bogs and cutting the peat away, which emits carbon, we can re-wet the bogs, so cover them in water and store that carbon and also see biodiversity start to return. And I think there's potential in the sea area as well, in the growing of kelp forests or in the creation of marine protected areas which see a restoration of ecosystems in the sea. The science indicates that that also can lead to better carbon storage capabilities of our oceans, which is one of the main ways in which carbon has been stored over millennia. So the two go together uh, and it's through a land use plan we deliver it, and marine protected areas plan in the sea. Ella from Eco-UNESCO, what would you like to ask the Minister? I was just wondering, Minister, in your opinion, what can you be doing better? I mean, my own job is how I communicate this is the most challenging thing because to get an understanding of those farmers that this is the future or to persuade people, for example, that we need to switch to rail and bus and bike rather than road. It's a communications challenge. Personally, then, in terms of my own emissions, I think we have to be really careful about turning this into a who's holier than thou, you know, oh, I'm, I'm really virtuous or otherwise. But I was asked recently about this and I said something. I just went to the doctor recently and the, what, the, what the doctor told me, he said, you eat probably more plant-based diet because that would be good for my health. And I was thinking, well, it would also be good for the planet. So that's my own kind of one of the things I think I'd like to do as a really personal thing, but I first and foremost keep them back to the same thing. We ask people for help rather than telling them what to do. People are aware of the science and, and are smart enough in their own 
lives as to what they can do better. It doesn't need me telling them to do that. It, it comes from yourself. What is this bill doing to stop plastic from being overused? The bill doesn't go into the real specifics. It, it sets out the broad mechanisms. And included in that, we have a, a waste action plan for a circular economy. And the legislation comes not just from Ireland, but from Europe as well. And it is switching away from single-use plastics, having no non-recyclable plastics. And like back to what I said about system change earlier on, so changing the packaging directive, you know, the packaging rules, so there's less plastic is, is one of the ways you do it. So we have about 200 actions in this plan we introduced last autumn. It's five years now. We, we have 200 things we need to do to make that happen, deposit refund schemes so that you get money back if you bring back a plastic bottle and it's more certainly and, and better recycled that way and then create new manufacturing systems so that a new bottle can only be made or would only be made from recycled so you don't you're not using new plastic system change is the key to making that happen the next question is something that really affects me and it's something that i've actually written to your office about Hi, I'm Harry from Enniscorthy, County Wexford, and I just want to ask, would you be able to reduce the prices of electric vehicles so it won't be as bad for the climate and teenagers getting their first cars for the first times would not have to give in as much money so it would be cheaper for them to drive electric cars? I think electric vehicles are coming with a certainty now and they will be cheaper because they're better cars. They're much simpler. They drive much better. They're much cleaner. They're much more fuel efficient. They're still expensive and the level of choice is not as much as you can with fossil fuel cars, but it's changing almost in front of us. We can see it happening. And what I expect to happen is as the manufacturers switch to electric vehicles, and again, this is the sort of system change, you set the rules in Europe and say, we're going to have no more combustion engine cars after a certain time and give the manufacturers time to make the switch. And as they do, as the numbers of electric cars increase, the cost will come down. Two reasons for expense. One was the battery is very expensive. And secondly, the numbers have been relatively small. But as that switches, as we start to make large numbers of electric cars, the cost will come down. There's a grant support of up to 5,000 euros for electric vehicle and then 600 euros to get a charger, support getting a charger. And so there are ways in which we are supporting the switch, probably in another two or three years' time they will be the cheaper option and people will really switch at scale, I think, once that happens. Just back to Eva there. Will there be a private climate change commission created to attend to our climate change agenda and also combat the crisis? So I think the best way of policing this is, come back to what I said, if, if we have someone going around looking in people's kitchens to see what you're doing, or, or I, I think we could lose the public interest. But if we... If we do it in a way that uses existing accounting systems, that might be a good way to end. Saoirse, back to you. Why does this bill continue to commit to a carbon neutrality by no earlier than 2050 when we are in a global crisis that is getting steadily out of hand? I agree with you, Saoirse. The crisis is at real dramatic stage. We're at real risk. The uh, tipping points that I mentioned earlier on, we won't know whether we've crossed them until after the fact, and there's real risks attached to this. So more urgency, the faster, the better. The European Union has just said that it will go to 57%, I think it is now, reduction by 2030 and go net zero in 2050. America similarly committed to a 50% reduction by 2030 and net zero by 2050. The Chinese committed to going slightly later by 2060. And the UK are going 78% by 2035, I think it is, and, 
and net zero by 2050. Could we do that sooner? I don't know yet. We'll have to wait and see. It was difficult. I'm on the European Council and to get 27 countries to agree to that target was very difficult. It was hotly debated and contested. And that was the numbers where we got the agreement from all countries. I suppose the political judgment was if we tried to go faster further, we might lose some and then we wouldn't get an agreement. So it was what was politically possible. So if we're to go further, if we're to go more dramatically, we respond to the crisis in a quicker way. It will require political change where we agree collectively where we're going to really go further. And that isn't there at the moment. It was quite an argument to get the existing targets through. Politics, it's the way we decide how we distribute resources or use resources. So if we're to go faster and further, it would have to be political change. And not just here, but in every European country. And we would also probably have to try and get China and America to go further and faster. And their political system isn't ready to do that yet. And perhaps that may change. And maybe the scale of the crisis will become increasingly apparent and it will change. If we could deliver in the next 10 years on a 50% reduction, as in 30 years, I haven't seen that level of ambition, but that would be a good start. And, and, and we need to start. My instinct is to focus on delivering that 50% reduction as fast as we can. And Ella, is there something you would like to add? You mentioned earlier that the bill doesn't go into like specifics on a plan or for sectors. So what's the timeline for that plan, um, especially for like the next five year block? We're in a tight timeline because we want to start this year, we want to include this year. Uh, every year matters now, there's urgency. So hopefully within the coming weeks, we get the bill through the Dáil and then the Shannon. The Climate Advisory Council has been set up on an interim basis. They have to come to us with three five-year budgets. I'm hoping they'll do that by early in the summer, this summer. And in the interim period, we're in government working on, uh, on the first phases of this new plan. I hope to have that by this summer as well so that we combine it with the review of our national development plan. It influences our budget. So this is the next few months we have to deliver the plan and then we have to deliver it on the ground in every area of our society. So it's 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 been a busy few months ahead. And now a final question from the kids around Ireland. I'm Naya and I'm seven. I live in Dublin. Please can you tell me what's being done to protect our ocean life so that there's still fish when I'm an adult? And that is, come back to, I think I mentioned earlier on, the introduction of marine protected areas. And again, from European law as well as Irish ambition, there is a requirement that we set aside 30% of our maritime areas for protecting marine life. There's a public consultation on how we do that, which is out at the present time. And it is critical because our sea area is 10 times our land area. It's the ecosystem that's been hugely damaged by over-exploitation in the last 40, 50 years. One of the positive note to finish on, that when we give nature space, it restores itself very quickly. Similar areas of marine protection in other jurisdictions, fish stocks and other marine life restore quite quickly. And it can be restored and not just nature for its biodiversity's sake, but the potential then for that natural system to store carbon and be part of the climate solution is very real as well. So that's the key. It's the designation of areas, the regulation of fishing and other activities at sea is what needs to be done. And it has to be done so that there is that natural system still in place when Naya grows up. Minister, we could probably sit here all day and discuss this and with so many passionate young people here. I just have one final question for yourself. 
How does it make you feel knowing that there are this many passionate young people that really do care about this issue? Encouraged and inspired. And I think not just by the interest, but by the attitude or approach. My sense over recent years, talking to younger people, is that there's an urgency and an anger and a passion about this, but also, I don't know how to explain this, but when you looked at when, when some of those climate strikes and other events in recent years, there was a message that another way is possible, we are unstoppable, another future is possible. And that was, it wasn't without a certain sense of hope and sense of empowerment about this. So that, that's what encourages me. I would like to thank the Minister for coming along and talking to us. It's nice to know our voice matters and hopefully the Climate Action Plan will offer the real change that is needed. Simply search online for Climate Conversations Ireland and you will find the link. It's open until 5.30 on the 18th of May. You may need to be over 16, but if you're not, as I said, ask your parent or guardian if you can do the survey with them. After all, it's us that will have the most to gain from building a climate-conscious approach across the whole of Ireland. Thanks, guys, and hopefully we'll see this change really soon. See you all next time. Evolution. Evolution was produced by Nikki Cochran for RTE Junior Radio. This is Anne.